Hey y'all, welcome to episode three of season one of the podcast, The Not So Empty Nest. I am your host, Stephanie Rada, and I'm so glad you're here today. I appreciate you taking time to listen, and I certainly appreciate any time you share the podcast with others. Have you ever felt like you were trying your very best to do what you believe the Lord has asked you to do, the right thing even, only to be met with criticism and obstacles at every turn? At times like that, we can begin to doubt ourselves and our ability to hear from God and feel quite discouraged. Maybe you're trying to build a family. Maybe you've been trying to build a career. Maybe you hope to repair a relationship. Maybe your finances are in shambles. Maybe communication has broken down in your marriage. Maybe your health has been severely compromised. Maybe a betrayal has left you feeling vulnerable and exposed. Whatever hard thing that you are facing, can I tell you something? You are not alone. There are plenty of others who are facing similar circumstances, just like you and I. They have felt overwhelmed by difficult tasks that they are facing and at times felt frozen by the enormity of it all and had no idea maybe even where to begin. As a matter of fact, they may have had difficulty imagining an end to the matter at all. Today, I'd like to introduce you to a person in the Bible who is facing just such circumstances. You may be surprised to see just how much you can relate to a cupbearer to the king thousands of years ago. One of my favorite things to do is to study the Bible with friends. Whether at a retreat or around the kitchen table, it is such a delight to open the Word of God together and discover nuggets of truth, gems of wisdom, treasures just waiting for us to claim as our own. And now I have the privilege of doing so with you here on this podcast. Now, each time we study, it's very important to me that we consider the spiritual strategies in the passage before us. Too many times we make ourselves spiritually vulnerable by not considering the consequences of our actions. We have an enemy who studies us, plots against us, and hopes to cause us to stumble. When we live our lives by the seat of our pants, we're not living in wisdom. But when we live our lives intentionally, practicing spiritual strategies that we will find illustrated throughout the Bible, then we can avoid many of the crises that we face as Christians. When I was homeschooling my children, teaching them to practice critical thinking was one of my mission goals. (laughs) My introduction to the concept of critical thinking was to learn the game of chess. Now, we would start by playing with the pawns only and learn how they moved. 
later, but as we were introduced to the full range of game pieces, then we would begin to understand that each piece had specific moves available only to them. And they would also then learn that each move that was made had certain consequences. The goal was to think at least three moves ahead so that they wouldn't be caught off guard and they were anticipating the opponent's counter moves. Now, spiritually speaking, this would be a good practice for us as well. What if we anticipated the snares of the enemy and prepared a defense against them? What if we were able to develop a strategy of our own that allowed us to continue the work before us while still being properly armed to resist the attacks of the enemy. Let's discuss Nehemiah and the methods that he used as he faced what seemed insurmountable odds. Now we're going to focus on chapter 4 of the book of Nehemiah, but we need to quickly review chapters 1 through 3 to properly set the scene. Now, there are three books that were written right in the same time period, and that was Nehemiah, Esther, and Ezra. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah were originally one book and later were separated into two books, so that's interesting to know. And they both deal with the reconstruction of Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah focuses on the reconstruction of the walls. Now, as we begin to look at the chapters 1 through 3, we find that Nehemiah was a servant to the king, Xerxes. He had a respectable position, and I'm sure he was comfortable in that position. And he got a bad report. Now, I won't go through all the ways that we could get a bad report because, well, we recognize a bad report when we get one. Maybe you could stop and think just for a moment, bad reports you've recently gotten. Now, when Nehemiah heard this bad report, he began to grieve. I mean, his heart was grieving over what he had heard. Hey, I can relate. There are some things that I am recently facing that have caused my heart to grieve. Now, you may be grieving the loss of a loved one, which of course would bring grief, but grief can be delivered by many ways and many methods, and it can be delivered through bad news, a bad report. Well, the first thing that we see is that Nehemiah went through proper channels and he got the approval of the king to do what he wanted to do. He got his support and the king even gave him provisions and resources. It does say right there in that part, though, if you care to go back and look later, that beside the king sat the queen. Now, I don't know this for sure, and no one knows for sure, but many scholars believe that that queen could have been the one and only Esther. That was just a side thought. (laughs) But we do know that he had the king's support. And we do know that he used discretion as he toured the city. 
rubble had made it just impossible for him to be able to access some areas. They were just impassable. And repairs of the gate began to be underway. And that's going to bring us up to chapter 4. Now, I do need to point out that Jerusalem had been abandoned to ruin. Uh, Ezra and, and another builder, they concentrated on the temple being rebuilt and then the city itself being rebuilt. And now Nehemiah has been told about the state of the walls of Jerusalem. Well, what's the big deal about that? We might say we don't have walls around our cities. But in that day and time, any city that was important, that could provide protection, that had uh, uh, the ability to influence the area around them, any city like that would have walls. They were a very important part of city life and what they could provide to their uh, residents. So it was very important to Nehemiah that the walls began to be restored. Now, that sounds good, and it sounds like uh, it's a great project, and he is doing this wonderful thing that's going to benefit all these people. But what we're going to begin to read in chapter 4 is that he faced criticism and opposition. And we're going to read this. If you'd like to turn there with me, certainly you can, or note down to look at it later. But I'm going to kind of stop as we go, and we're going to discuss what's happening with Nehemiah. And what my prayer is, is while we are reading his story and seeing what he's facing and how he responds to it, that God will be able to quicken our spirits and help us understand how we can use a strategy similar to this to resist the enemy and however he is fighting us. Okay, so we're going to start with verse 1, chapter 4. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. Okay, so this is a man, and he is a leader uh, of the people that surrounds this um, city, the city of Jerusalem, and he is angry. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think that they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day just by offering sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, he is going to get his two cents in, you see, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. So here we have the reaction of some important leaders to the work that Nehemiah was trying to do. Not on his own authority, but by the king's authority. And they are in a rage, it says, because they see this as a pointless work. Now, what did they do? They said, what, who do they think they are? What do they think they're doing? Can I tell you that in my moments 
of trying to step out of my comfort zone and do a work for God that I believe he's asked me to do, that this is one of the tactics that the enemy always uses against me. Who do you think you are, Stephanie? What do you think you're trying to do? (laughs) Oh my goodness. So many times I have felt just like Nehemiah. I have felt just as scorned and criticized. I have felt just as mocked. Even if a little fox were to walk on your wall, it could not hold him up. A fox is a very slight little creature. And, And not only that, but you can't build anything out of this rubble and he said and the charred rubble after all I don't know what it is you're trying to build I know some things I'm trying to build and repair and redeem or ask the Lord to redeem and I know that it looks like it's in shambles I know it appears to be in ruins But I also know this, that if God calls you to it, He is going to see you through it. And so how does Nehemiah respond to these words? And keep in mind here that the first way, the first tool, the first strategy of the enemy to to distract them, discourage them, and to interrupt the work of God It's words. Don't ever take lightly the words that you are exposed to or that are shot at you like little fiery darts. They can be damaging. But here's what Nehemiah says. He said, then I prayed. Okay, so we see our first reaction should always be to pray. That should not be our last resort. It should not be what we finally do when we can't figure out anything else to do. It should be our first choice, the first thing we do. Then I prayed, hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. And he goes on to say a good bit more. But the point is that he turned to God when he was attacked, and that's exactly what we should do. Now, at last, it says, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites, those are all the enemies of the work that was going on, when they heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. And they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and to throw us into confusion. Okay, so what we see here is they attacked with words, and then Nehemiah turned to God, and his words were turned into a prayer. And now the work is continuing, and they are furious because their strategy didn't work, so they're going to plan a new attack. And this new attack, the point of it is to throw the workers into confusion, which will, of course, delay 
or completely stop the work. I know, and you do too, that God is not the author of confusion. And if unnecessary confusion is being brought into your life, into your family, into your ministry, into your thoughts, into your relationships, into your workplace, into your church, wherever it is being brought into, that is not of God. Because confusion never accomplishes anything except for the enemy to distract and discourage the work of God that's happening. You know, it, it said that the walls were about halfway up. And I'm going to tell you a personal opinion that I have. I believe that the enemy would much rather stop and sabotage a work in the midst of being done than even at the beginning. You see, if he stops us at the beginning before we ever start, well, he's discouraged us. And that's not a good thing. But if he is able to sabotage the work halfway through, there are going to be other people involved. There are going to be other people who have invested. This is going to bring about not just discouragement to us, but to many other people. And he will have accomplished much more discouragement that way. Well, it goes on then to say that how did Nehemiah respond to this new threat? They're going to bring confusion. He says, So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords and spears and bows. And then, as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Immediately, we see that as Nehemiah was made aware of the new threat of promised confusion, he began to put a plan in place. He identified areas that might be uh, easy targets, and he he's, uh, supplemented those areas. And then what I love the most is that he put families to stand guard by families. And then he reminded them what it was that they were fighting for. Their sons and their daughters and their husbands and wives, their families, their homes. There is nothing worth fighting for any more than that. And I believe in my heart that as the very first institution that God put in place, the family, that it is the very first place that Satan wants to attack and discourage us. And we need to have a strategy in place and not just living life as it's thrown at us. Instead, we need to be in a position where we are prepared and we have set up a guard for the sakes of our family. Well, when our enemies, he said, heard that we knew of their plans and that God has frustrated them. We all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half of my men worked 
while the other half stood guard with spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. And all the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. I love this vision, this thought that we can be actively building and working for the kingdom of God. We can actively be answering the call that has been placed on our lives with one hand and still hold a weapon to defend that work and our family with a weapon. It doesn't have to be either or. We can do both. And I love this very last thing that he said. It's he said he had the trumpeter standing beside him. And he goes on to explain that the work was very spread out. And he encourages the people that if they begin to be attacked, they are to sound the alarm through a shofar. And then others are to come to their aid. I want to encourage you something as we close today. If you're in trouble, if you're being attacked, if your family has been targeted, don't be afraid to sound the alarm, to let others who are in this fight with you, who are in this work of God with you, know and come to your aid. They can add their prayers to yours. They can add their strength to yours. And when we need it, we should be willing always to help each other. I hope you've enjoyed this brief little lesson on Nehemiah. So much more here that we could explore and go through. But we're going to stop here. And I pray that today... As we close, that you will consider the work that God has given to you and that you will determine to not be distracted. I hope that you will consider recent bad news that you got that has grieved your heart and that you will, instead of quitting, giving up, or thinking that there is no point, that you will continue to do the work before you and that the the restoration, the rebuilding, that it will be accomplished because we will not let the enemy cause us to quit. I hope that at some point today, you've been able to say, yeah, me too.